You're listening to the Ministry 127 Podcast, a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel and the Lancaster Baptist Church. Today's lesson is on coordinating ministry projects with Mrs. Danielle Mort. Mrs. Mort is a graduate of West Coast Baptist College, and she serves at Lancaster Baptist Church, helping to oversee Striving Together publications since its inception in 2001. Point number one, our first essential of project management is to take ownership. My dad always says that most ideas go through, my dad, by the way, is Pastor Chapel, so if I refer to him, just so you all know, I, I had the privilege of growing up here my whole life, so basically everything I'm telling you, I've pretty much learned from him, okay? So one thing he always says to our staff is that every idea goes through three phases, rejection, tolerance, and acceptance. And he always tells the secretarial staff, just skip rejection and tolerance and get right to acceptance, okay? If you're going to go through the phases, just skip the first two and just get right, go on to acceptance. And I've learned in my life to just actually go beyond acceptance and get to that level of commitment and ownership to a project. You know, I'm not just going to accept it. I'm going to take this as my own, and I'm going to commit to completing it the way my pastor would want me to or my team leader would want me to. Um, the sooner we own a, a project, the better. You know, sometimes we're given something, and we just, if we could, we would just say, I don't want that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Give it right back to the person who gave it to us. But we can't always do that. So the sooner we, could, we own it, the better. This is a spiritual decision where we say, I'm accepting this project and I'm committing to accomplishing it. So letter A, we have that we need commitment to your leader's vision. It is our job to fulfill the leader's vision. And if you're a newer secretary or newer to working with someone, um, it's going to take you a while to learn their preferences and their vision for certain things. If you've worked for them for a while, you tend to know and you tend to pick up on things after a while. You know their standards that they like upheld. If you're not sure, when you're given a task by somebody, if you want to learn your leader's vision, you can do two things. First of all, you can ask questions. And you don't want to bombard with a lot of questions, but you can ask for some clarification. You can ask if he has any certain standards he wants upheld. And if you you don't have the opportunity to ask questions, you, you can always follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And that's the second one. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of times where... My dad will send me a text, or Brother Schmidt, I work on uh, his team in our offices. He'll send me a text or send me an email or just say something as he's walking through the hall, and they'll just give me a project. And I don't have time to ask them 25 questions about how exactly they want it done. So I need to ask the Holy Spirit to help me to know how to handle that. Okay, we had, um, well, I better just keep going. Okay, letter B is a commitment to excellence. A commitment to excellence. We need to ask ourselves, what will this project really look like when it happens successfully? What will it look like? What will it sound like? And envision that. Um, Then determine, with the Lord's help, I will do my best and I will do this right. Sometimes we get a project, and if we don't receive it the way we should, we just tend to get it off our to-do list, get it off our plate, so to speak. And we need to commit to doing it right. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. One quote that I like to remember is that people will forget how fast you did a job, but they will always remember how well you did it. So commit to doing everything that you do well. This first point is very basic when it comes to receiving this task or this project, but it's very foundational so that we receive it with the right heart attitude and with, and with a spirit that's willing to do whatever is asked of us. Okay. So the number two, we gather information. And the key word here is process. And in this step, we develop a clear understanding for how a project will be done. 
a clear understanding for how the project will get done. Uh, on repeat projects, this is really easy after a while. You know, if you have the same Sunday, special Sunday every year, you kind of know what to expect. Um, so that's a blessing. We still need to gather information in some areas. And sometimes we get a brand new project and it's we're just starting from scratch. Um, when we gather information on a project, we understand goals, we identify key tasks, we determine our resources, that's the blank there, we establish budgets, and we set general timelines for completion. Okay? So letter A, we have confirm project goals and objectives. You need to understand the purpose of your project in order to have clarity, in order to have creative development, and in order to have cooperation. I've sometimes been asked to do something. Sometimes my brothers will come to me and they'll say, can you help me write a letter or help me you know, write this bulletin article? And I sit down and I can't have any creative development because I don't understand what they're asking me to write. And maybe you've been there before. That's why we need to clarify those goals and objectives. Um, we need to ask ourselves, what's the desired outcome? What do we do here? And, and we brainstorm, first of all, sometimes is what we need to do. What does this take? What is the scope? What is my budget? What are the deadlines? And then also we need to ask for specific details. If I was um, asked, let's say, to set up a book table in my church lobby, um, I would ask certain questions. You know, when does my pastor want to open this book table? Who does he want me to call to get resources? What is the general look that he envisions? You know, does he want a stand or a table? Does he want a certain length of a tablecloth? My dad likes tablecloths, preferably to go to the floor. And I'm sure the people you work for have you know, certain standards like that. You ask those types of questions. And then letter B, you get advice. So first you ask what? What does this need? And then letter B, you get advice and you ask how. How should this happen? The Bible says without counsel, purposes are disappointed. Uh, you've never done a project long enough or many, too many times where you can stop getting advice. It's always wise to uh, look for new ideas, to ask others if they have any input. Experience is the threat to improvement. Experience is a threat to improvement. And if you find yourself thinking, okay, yeah, I've done this 25 years in a row. I can just do it the same way I did it last year. Maybe it's time to think. I should ask some people if, there's a, you know, if they have a fresh eye, a fresh perspective on this so I can do something better. I always go to, it seems like, our office manager for the church side, and Lisa Stoner. Maybe some of you have been to her session. She, I think she has our whole policies and procedures manual you know, memorized. So every time I have a question, I just go to her instead of looking it up because she just has so much wisdom just right at the top of her head, and she has so much experience, and she provides a lot of input. If you don't have someone like that in your ministry, uh, you, there are lots of resources available. Um, a lot of times I'll be in a meeting with Brother Schmidt, and he'll just reference a book or a blog post or an article, and I'll just jot it down just so I have a reference for where he's coming from, and maybe I can learn a little bit more that way. Um, a while ago, we had a secretary who came on board for just a short time. She was right out of college, and we asked her to help with some minor editing work. And she had the raw potential, but she was really nervous about a project like this. She had never done that type of thing before. And I remember walking by her desk about a week into it, and she had a stack of books, like this high, on how to edit, you know, how to write concisely, all these different things. And she was just pouring over them. And I thought, that's so awesome that she, you know, she's out of her element. She wasn't sure, but she took the project with a good attitude, and she was committed to gathering all the information that she could on it. So, um, again, back to setting up, I'm just using this as an example, a book table in the lobby, let's say. You might need to call... Uh, your state or look online to see what type of laws they have for, for reselling and, and, and sales tax. 
you might want to call another church who's done something similar. So just look for ways to get advice. Then letter C, identify others who can be involved. And here you can ask the question, who? Uh, typically, by the time you've created your master task list and assigned deadlines to each step, you're going to realize very quickly that you can't get it done by yourself. Or if you're like me, I'm kind of a control freak, I hate to admit it, but then I think I have to do every single task all by myself in order to get it done right, okay? And if that happens, then it's going to bottleneck and you're going to be the reason that happens. So you really need to delegate and to involve others. Um, my, I have two brothers who are serving in ministry and a sister, and so we've, uh, my brother Matt now works down in San Diego at a church, but for a while he worked uh, here when he was in college. So all four of us would see each other, you know, almost on a daily basis. And so we kind of have worked together a little bit, and they have a nickname for me, and that nickname is Della. They'll call me Della. And I asked them, why are you guys calling me Della? And they said, because you delegate everything to everybody. And I was like, yeah, I must be the oldest. You just have that natural ability to, de- to delegate, okay? So, um, but I thought, well, that's a good quality, right? As long as we're not bossy or whatever. But we need to learn to delegate to others and to include them and to involve them in our projects. Um, and it, with, with the work that the Lord allows me to do in our publications office, I can't fill every order, answer every phone call, proofread every book, you know, sign for every shipment. We have to have a team, and we have to develop others around us to help us in that area. And I think about our, our ladies in our church who help proofread our books. They're such a, a blessing. They... Um, They love to do that. They love to, when we give them a a binder and say, can you read this book? They get such excitement out of that and joy in that. And it's a blessing to us. We need their help, and it's a blessing to them. They're able to grow and learn from the materials. And uh, it's just, it works all the way around, and that's how God intended it. And then as a side note, when you do um, recruit volunteers, it's important to train them. You know, when you ask ladies in your church to be involved, don't just put them in a room with the table and tell them to get started. You need to give some instruction. Otherwise, it's going to frustrate them and you, and you want it to be a pleasant experience for those that you're trying to involve in the ministry. Okay, so then letter D, the last step is to ask God for wisdom. You know, while we're asking advice from all these people and we're gathering information or processing it, we can't forget that we need to ask God for his wisdom because that's the most important thing. The Bible says that God's willing to give to all men liberally. And sometimes we get a project and we finally got to the point where we're owning it and we're you know, getting a little bit more excited about it. And we start uh, to really commit, gather our team. And then we start thinking that we just have it all together and we can do it on our own. And we forget we've just got tools in God's hands. He just, he's just using us. He can get anybody to do this. But we need to rely on him and trust him that he can help us. One of my other favorite quotes is, Anything done in my own flesh is bound to fail miserably or to succeed even more miserably. And I don't want to even think about all the times I've done things my own way and succeeded at them and then wished that I had even started the project, you know. And I uh, failed, you know, very miserably. So the number three, to keep things moving here, we need to develop a strategy. Develop a strategy, and the key word here is to organize. Once you've gathered all your information, you're going to start to notice some natural relationships and structure with the projects you've been given. You'll see um, a general timeline, a time frame. Uh, you'll start noticing similar tasks that, um, you know, maybe have a couple of different errands to run. Um, you'll start to see these components and events and priorities of your project. And when you um, organize, some people... There's a term called batching, and it's where you can take all your list of projects that you have and start batching them into groups. Maybe all your emails you need to write, all your um, phone calls you need to make, all the errands you need to run, and try to 
make your plan so that you can do the most with the time you've been given. Maybe run all your errands together at one time and, and, and structure and batch your, your tasks together. There are some questions you can ask yourself when developing a project plan. Okay, and these are the three. I think they're in your notes. What must occur for the project to take place? Then in what order must these tasks be accomplished? And then finally, what are the most important elements to ensure the success of this project? Sometimes we'll get through the brainstorming and information gathering, and we'll come up with a lot of good ideas and tasks. Some are more important than others. You know, sometimes we get caught up on the really little small things, and they're not the most important elements to, to ensure a good project co completion. So we need to identify the important elements. Um, then as a side note, it's important to capture your plan in a system. And just in a system that works for you. This is not a time management course. And I'm sure everyone in here has a different way that you manage time manage um, your projects and your tasks. It truly doesn't matter how you organize your tasks. What does matter is that you get them organized, whether you use bullet points, um, an online to-do list, or even an Excel spreadsheet. Just get your strategy somewhere. Um, when we develop a plan, we're preparing for a successful outcome, and competency is in the preparation. Our competency is in the preparation. If we want, sometimes we really want our, our project to turn out really good. We want our pastor to be proud, our team leader to be proud of you know how how we did this, and we don't take the time to prepare in advance. Uh, I see Maggie; she's my friend. We went to high school together, and now she's the pastor's wife, missionary's wife in Mexico. She put a quote um, on Facebook the other day that said, great things happen before great things happen. And she posted a picture of some people praying before a church service. And, but I thought, you know, that's so true in our lives too. Great things happen before great things happen. And we need to take, our, take time to prepare if we want our projects to turn out right. Um, it is hard to expect God to bless our efforts if we're not willing to make the commitment to plan and prepare ahead of time. The ministry, my dad says this, the ministry is no place for a person whose life is a continual confusion of unaccomplished plans and unorganized activities. So we need to get organized. So letter A, this is very basic, but list every step to your project. Developing an attention to detail is a major key to being a, success, a successful secretary. And when you're making a list of all your steps, ask God to help you be detail-oriented. Some people... This comes more naturally for them, and others it does not. But it truly is, um, in my opinion, one of the, the keys to being a, a good secretary is to be detail-oriented. This is first, though, my dad's secretary has said before, small things undo big things. And details are what get noticed by others. It's what separates the excellent secretary from the rest. So when you're in this stage of planning, ask God to help you think of every detail that he wants you to remember. Um, back to setting up a book table, for instance. Uh, secure a table cost, secure a table, get a money bag, meet with the financial secretary, identify vendors, implement procedures for handling money, make a schedule for volunteers to man the table, set up a training meeting, implement a plan for storing inventory throughout the week. The list could go on and on and on and ask God to help you be detail-oriented. Then letter B, assign dates. Assign dates to each step. The Bible tells us to uh, teach us to number our days. David said this, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So we need to create a timeline by carefully and strategically mapping out your project, assigning dates to every task. In this process, you'll first ask yourself, what is the next action? If you, if you get stuck, just think, okay, what is the next thing I need to do? What is the next thing I need to do? And just list out those projects or those tasks for your project. 
then you'll start to identify similar tasks and group them together. We talked about that earlier with batching. Okay, so you'll uh, assign dates and then letter C, you will maintain a method. Maintain your method for tracking your plan. The key word here is to maintain. We talked about getting a system for, you know, for your plan, but now we need to maintain it, constantly update it. Um, it would be a waste of time to create a great plan and then not use it. So live by your system, and your system shouldn't be sticky yellow pads, okay? Get something that's more reliable than that. Um, okay, then unless the information should be easily retrieved, we already mentioned that as well. Once you've organized your information, you can move to the next step. So number four is execute your plan. And the key word here is to act. Okay, execute your plan. Letter A is discipline yourself to work. I don't know if anyone in here can identify with this, but I love to plan. I'm a planner. And to me, planning a road trip or a vacation or anything is almost more fun than actually doing it. You know, it's just so much, it's so much fun for me. So I have to be aware of that in my life because I will plan this, this great, I will make a great plan for a project I've been given, and then I don't really want to do my plan. You okay? guys want to present it and then be done. So we have to discipline ourselves to work. Um, my dad often says, work your God-given plan. So once you have this God-given plan, discipline yourself to work it. The gap between knowing and doing, the gap between knowing and doing is significantly greater than the gap between ignorance and knowledge. So often it's not that we don't know what to do, it's just that we are not doing what we already know. I find that there are three major hindrances to executing our plans. And the first hindrance for all of us probably at some time or another is the hindrance of procrastination. It's the art of keeping up with yesterday. And people who let things go now will pay for them later. Procrastination becomes a problem when we neglect or delay doing those things that are important to us. It is a universal effectiveness killer. Uh, I recently read an article in which the author challenged his readers to never read an email message twice. Okay? Uh, think about it. Maybe be honest with me. Your secretary's in here. How many times do you go through email and you read like the same email over and over and over again? You're like, I'll come to that one later. I'll get to that one later. And we read it over and over again. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're just procrastinating because we're not disciplining ourselves to do something with that email. And so he has a personal rule, this author of this article. He said that he would only read an email message one time and he would take the appropriate action in that moment and be done. And he only checks his emails certain times a day. And he would either do it, do whatever he needed to do in that moment. He would delegate, defer, file, or delete. And he just took care of it. So, so often we put off non-urgent tasks until they become urgent. And then we live in this constant state of urgency and panic or running around like we're you know, so busy and so stressed out. And it's just because we procrastinated all the time beforehand. Okay? Don't let a simple task become a last-minute crisis. The key here is to infuse a healthy urgency into your daily routine so that you will do your tasks right away. Just um, self-impose that urgency in a healthy way so that you're not stressing yourself out, but you're just committing to doing these tasks. I read recently uh, this quote. It said, everything in me wants to get this project done, but nothing in me wants to get it started. And I've been there lots of times. You know, I want to get the project done, but I don't want to get it started. Um, and the tip there is to just do a startup task. Maybe just pick one thing. Don't look at the project as a whole. Just pick one small startup task you can do. Um, I know for me, every year when I have to prepare to do the publications budget, 
I just sit and stare at an, Excel, at an Excel spreadsheet for a long time, and I don't even know where to begin. You know, and I feel this pressure to do it right, to um, support all my information, and to, you know, I know it's going to be presented to the deacons and to the auditors who we ask to review our books every year, and I just feel this pressure and this I don't want to do it feeling. And so I just stare at an Excel spreadsheet. And oftentimes it just takes me to do one little step so that I can think, okay, I'm, I'm kind of in the mood now. You know, I can, I can keep going and go forward. But one thing to remember is that intentions don't get things done. And oftentimes, oftentimes we just rely on those intentions and we think, you know, oh, I was going to do that. And then we never end up doing it. So then procrastination is one hindrance. Another one is excuses, making excuses. So sometimes we can let excuses get in our way. We um, seek for excuses. Let's see. Okay, so then hindrance number three is busyness with a Y, B-U-S-Y-N-E-S-S, an addiction to busyness. And sometimes I get this way too, okay? I don't know if you've been in that mood where you're just so busy and you just start running around and, you know, just... Act, you know, just a lot of activity and flurry. And I read this quote, activity is not the mark of accomplishment. Just because there's lots of activity going on does not mean you're accomplishing work. And sometimes we let um, our, in pride, we let ourselves uh, think that our busy lifestyle is just really great and we're getting a lot done. And we pride ourselves in our ability to multitask. And we do need to multitask occasionally. I, I remember when I was in college, I had a stick shift and I was so proud of myself. This is dangerous. I probably would have been in huge trouble for my parents, but I remember I could talk on my cell phone, uh, shift my car, I could be um, eating a McDonald's hamburger, and I could be making a left-hand turn and talking to my friend, and I was so proud of my multitasking skills, okay? So I know women, we were good multitaskers, and I have an almost two-year-old son, and multitasking has taken on a whole new meaning for me in the last two years, okay? So there are times when we do need to multitask, but Sometimes we think it's a really great thing. I tell my husband, I am such a better multitasker than you. You're just, just joking around, and I pride myself in it. But really, multitasking hinders our work. Um, when it comes to your projects and daily routines, working in a perpetual state of shifting tasks and refocusing attention creates fatigue, stress, and, and decreased productivity. I'm not sure if that's in your outline. But working in a perpetual state of shifting tasks and refocusing attention creates fatigue, stress, and decreased productivity. So when you start to work on a project, it might be wise to turn off your email, to turn off social networking alerts that pop up in your computer, maybe close your office doors for a short time, and just remove any distractions, and then sit down and focus on the one thing you need to do for your project. I read an article uh, earlier this summer that said every time we become distracted, it takes an average of 15 minutes to regain complete focus. Think about that. 15 minutes to regain complete focus to what you were doing originally. That's a lot of wasted time if we have lots of little pop-ups in our computer telling us, you know, someone wants to be our friend or whatever. Um, Many studies have shown that multitasking decreases productivity dramatically and can drain your creativity in your project. It can create a stressful environment that is eventually unsustainable. We cannot multitask, you know, eight hours a day while we're in the office. It's just, it's unsustainable. We can't be effective anyway. So decide to do one task at a time. I guess that's the point I'm making here. Do one task at a time. Um, I don't think this quote made it in. Maybe it did. But um, Thomas Buckner said, to bring oneself to a frame of mind and to the proper energy to accomplish things that require plain hard work continuously is the one big battle that everyone has. 
just getting in that frame of mind and the proper energy to focus on your work, okay? So now that we've seen three hindrances, there are also three helps, okay? Three little tips for getting your actions completed. First of all, constantly update your task list. Get everything that you didn't do yesterday on today's to-do list, okay? Update that. Keep it fresh. There's uh, nothing more frustrating than, you know, trying to figure out what you still need to do and flipping back. I'm one of those weird people who, when I do a task I wasn't even planning on doing, I write it in my planner and then check it off, okay? So keep it updated. Keep it fresh. And then number two, set time restraints. Set time restraints. Parkinson's Law says work expands to the time allotted to it, for it. Work expands to the time allotted for it. When I read that, I um, could not help but think, when we were growing up, we had company almost every Sunday night at our home. And, you know, we would maybe have lunch with someone in the afternoon, and then from 1.30 to 4.30, it was like clean the house and get ready for company. And there are a few times I was like, my friends take a Sunday afternoon nap and I have to clean or whatever. And I thought, we could clean much faster than this. Let's hurry up. But it always took us up the minute we had to walk out the door to clean the house. But then on, like, Tuesday, if my dad called my mom and said, I'm going to be home in five minutes with the guest pastor, we had the house clean in, like, no, 15 minutes, piece of cake, and it, we got it, got it done so much faster. And it's because our work just expanded to the time we allotted for it. Um, they say that the most productive week of the year is the week right before your vacation, you know, when you have to get everything closed and ready for the person to take over your job. It's because we discipline ourselves to get everything done. So set time restraints. Um, our tasks will fulfill the, the time we have. If a project, that, uh, a project that usually takes 30 minutes will take 45 if you give yourself 45 minutes. So set those time frames. And then number three, allow some margin or establish some margin in your routine. And this may seem contradictory, but you need to plan for things to go wrong. You know, give yourself space between tasks. And I am the worst at this. I have such unrealistic expectations when it comes to how much I can get done in a day. I don't plan for my son to have a special need or, you know, for someone to come into my office and and talk for a little bit longer than I was anticipating at all. So we need to allow some margin. Okay? So letter B, then, is discipline yourself to follow through. Discipline yourself to follow through. So we need to discipline just to work and then to follow through. You need regular controls to make sure that your project is staying on track. Um, We can do this a couple different ways. First of all, follow through with yourself. Have predetermined checkpoints when you make your plan. I'm going to check up on myself on this day to see how I'm going. I'm going to have just um, a time to review and, and check up on myself on how I'm doing. And then also, I think more importantly, we need to inspect what we expect. My dad says, inspect what you expect. Um, I... It's probably a little bit of a pet peeve of mine if when someone emails another person and says, can you take care of this, and then they check it off their to-do list and then never follow through with the person who they asked to 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 help them, okay? So if I need your help for my project and I email you and say, can you help me, I don't check that off my to-do list just because you say, sure, or I think so. I need to follow through and make sure that's going to happen. And a lot of times email is the worst way to do this. It's really a lot better just to do eye-to-eye. Not that you need to spend a lot of time talking, but just buttonhole someone and say, okay, are we, are we right on track for this? And there is a balance and a, um, a God-given wisdom to doing this without, without nagging, you know, especially when you're working with your team leader or your pastor, and if you need to talk to him about something, God can give you the grace to not be a nag and not be annoying, but to just, you know, follow through and, and graciously and tenaciously make sure uh, what needs to get done gets done. 
And then letter C, discipline yourself to communicate throughout the process. Discipline yourself to communicate throughout the process. Um, As you work on your projects, try to stay ahead of your leader. Learn to anticipate what he will ask and take initiative to send him information. That is a great feeling, you know, when you can send something to your pastor or to someone you work for and say, you know, this is done, just want to let you know, or just FYI, this is taken care of. When you can communicate ahead of time, that's, that's a real blessing to them. Your pastor or team leader or the person you work with or for shouldn't have to come to you every day. Um, can I get an update or how's that project going? Um, that's just, to me, if, if Brother Schmidt or my dad has to ask me, I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't tell them ahead of time. And I know sometimes they're going to ask anyway. It just makes them feel better or whatever. But it's still good just to you know, let them know as much as possible. Um, and then ask questions before he thinks to ask you questions. Um, you might just want to, that's a nice way to, to prompt even, just to say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or I'm planning on doing it this way, is that okay? And it gives them a peace of mind to know that you're thinking. And remember, we're there to alleviate the burden and to bear his burden. So that's a blessing when you can communicate. Also, I have found that when you're committed to communicating, you force yourself to accomplish something worth communicating, okay? Brother Schmidt asks his team every week for a weekly update. And when I sit down to do it, I think, what did I do this week? Because sometimes I feel like I did a lot and it doesn't even look good on paper, you know. But it, when, you, when you know you have to give an update or when you know that you've committed to communicating, you really want to accomplish something that's worth communicating and explaining to somebody, okay? The number five, make adjustments. Make adjustments. And the key word here is to review, Most major projects will inevitably require mid-course adjustments and changes. These adjustments will take on various forms. Um, it could be in a form of a reprimand. I, I remember one time I was just starting out. I think I was still in college. And I was just in this great mood. And Mrs. Firstow, my dad's secretary, called me up to his office. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. My dad just wants to say hi to me, you know. So I, I walked up there, and I was just chit-chatty. And um, another person walked in. I forget who it was. And then Brother Schmidt walked in. And I thought, oh, this is like an actual meeting, you know. So I'm trying to, like, readjust my thinking. And then we all sat down. And I forget what I did, but I, I made a mistake. I messed up on something. And so my dad said, you know, I need to talk to you about this. And, you know, these other people were there. And I felt so dumb, you know, because here I thought I had to switch roles in my brain. You know, I wasn't the daughter seeing the dad. I was, you know, the employee seeing the pastor. And I had a little reprimand time. And it was good for me. And I learned something from it. But that was a mid-course adjustment. Maybe not one that I enjoyed, but it was one that I received, whether I liked it or not. But it could be a reprimand. You know, or it could be a team leader or a pastor saying, that's not what I really want. And I appreciate your help, but we need to change it up a little bit. Um, it could be... Just regular challenges like the photocopier is breaking or, you know, someone you ordered something from didn't get your order to you on time. And those things will happen. So what do you do? Or how can you make these adjustments? Letter A, perform a weekly review. This is a time for you to assess and adjust. I like to do this um, either on Saturday night or Sunday afternoon when my son's taking a nap. And I'm thinking about my next week. And I've learned this from people... I mean, I'm sure most of you do this. I've learned this from people like Brother Schmidt, my dad, who do this. They've taught it to me. But just to sit down and think, okay, what's my plan for this week? And what happened last week? What do I need to adjust? Who do I need to talk to? And how can I make adjustments in my plan? And it's also good to do it um, in a quiet time when there's not a lot of people around, you know, so you can um, think through it and also just allow the Holy Spirit to, you know, give him the chance to impress something on your heart. Maybe 
He'll give you an idea or lay, lay a person's name on your heart that you could talk to to ask for help or whatever. But from the time you spend with the Lord in this quiet time of meditation and reflecting, you gain the ability to make wise mid-course adjust, uh, adjustments and corrections. And then letter B, be flexible. Be flexible. Be prepared to alter your plan to adjust for the inevitable events that cause delays. And then accept those God-given changes as his sovereign hand in that situation, you know. And not to over-spiritualize everything. That maybe just um, the photocopier breaking was, you know, God saving you from running off a typo. That's happened to me lots of times. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for letting the photocopier break. I would have just wasted a lot of paper because I didn't catch the typo or whatever. And just try not to get stressed out about it and just... Go with the flow, so to speak, and trust that God has a plan in every little thing. And then if your leader does give you um, a change or a suggestion, be willing to welcome that critique. I think sometimes as women, we, you know, we have this project and we, we're owning it, we're committed to it, and it's ours, and we're going to help the leader. And then the leader changes something and we get all frustrated and, and bent out of shape, you know, because he asks us to change something along the way and our, and our emotions get involved. And uh, sometimes we need uh, just to welcome that critique and be careful with that. Um, the definition of being flexible is capable of being bent repeatedly without injury or damage. Can you be bent repeatedly without injury or damage? You know, can you bounce right back when you, get a, when you get a critique or a criticism or a suggestion and be responsive to change? Um, the Bible uh, talks about in Philippians 2 about how Jesus uh, lowered himself and became a servant. And sometimes, you know, I know the quote says... You know if you're a servant by how you respond when you're treated like one. And I ask God often, Lord, please help me to have that servant's heart that, you know, this isn't really my project. I'm doing it for you ultimately. And if this needs to be done differently, that's totally okay with me. Um, my brother did a staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and he was filling in for my dad. I wasn't there, and I was listening to it afterwards on a CD. And he talked about, you know, the, the leader's vision versus your preference. And he had a unique perspective on it because, you know, he's the son working for, you know, for my dad. And he has lots of ideas and preferences. And he said, when it comes right down to it, loyalty is that anchor that keeps you steady and firm that says, you know what? I'm loyal to, to this man who God has placed in my life. And I don't care about my preferences. I'm just going to support the vision while God has placed me right here under his leadership. So I like to remember that, to remember that loyalty is the anchor and to welcome the critique, and to detach emotion, and to remember that God is faithful, to remember your work and labor of love. And then, um, let's see, what to do when the unexpected happens. So here are a few quick guidelines, what to do when the unexpected happens. First of all, be proactive. It's funny to watch different, how different people respond when something goes wrong, you know. Um, some people just just sit there. I don't, I don't you know, they, they, they freeze, they don't know what to do. Um, some people are sitting there, like my... Um, and they, they're just thinking through it. You know, I, I see that as an activity, but they're just formulating a plan. You know, some people have to just get up and do something about it. But be, be proactive um, in the situation and, and not getting flustered, but saying, okay, what can I do to, to make the best of this situation right now? Then number two, be positive. I think that's a big one, too. You know, instead of getting frustrated, just stay positive. And um, especially if you work in an office, a woman's, Mood can kind of, just like in a home, it can affect the office, too. And Brother Schmidt makes jokes about sometimes he'll walk into a secretary's office not knowing 
the half of what she's just been through, and he'll say, how's your day? And then the secretary just starts crying, you know, because it's, it's been terrible. You don't know what it's like to do a mail merge or whatever, and when the computer is not working. So but just try to stay positive. We all have our days. But when something goes wrong, just ask the Lord to help you maintain a sweet spirit. And then number three, be a problem solver. You may not have the best solution in the moment, but you should be thinking, okay, what can we do to solve this? Um, and just be and just be willing to to make it work. And then uh, I already said, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. That verse may be there in your in your notes. Okay. The number six is record assessments, and the word here is to evaluate. Okay. So basically, when your project's done, you've you've organized your plan, you've worked your plan. Um, when it comes to the conclusion, now you're going to record your assessments and you're going to evaluate what happened. And we can't trust our memory. Um, I'm learning that more and more. I, I, I have Alzheimer's on one side of, my, side of my family and dementia on the other. So I'm already, I'm already like psyching myself out. Like I'm forgetting this already. You know? So I'm like taking pictures of everything and writing things down all the time. But we can't trust our memory anyway. So log um, items that you ordered, uh, mailings with enclosures, gifts, giveaways, phone calls. A lot of times we'll give books to people and then we realize, oh, maybe we gave that same book to that same group last year in our church, you know, so it's important to keep logs of stuff like that. Um, if I have a project that requires setup and assembly and decor, I have recently started taking pictures of it. It's easier, or even take my camera or my phone on my, my camera on my phone and just even video it. Okay, here's where I put this table, here's where I put this table, and it's a small thing, but it helps me Instead of, you know, typing it all out, it helps me just get a visual. And if you use uh, programs like Evernote or Dropbox, but especially Evernote, you could take a picture and put it right into Evernote, and you can have your file, and it's um, saved, and it's there. And if you haven't, I'm just learning Evernote, but if you haven't um, tried that program, you might really be interested in looking that up because it's really good for filing things like that. And another thing when it comes to recording your assessments, I would suggest possibly eliminating as much paper as you can um, I know it's easy to, for, for a long time, I'm not that old, obviously, but for a long time I, I had like a filing system with lots of files in it. And I went through and purged it, and I realized a lot of it I already had on my computer or I could easily scan and not have to have the paper, and then it was there for easy retrieval. And then if I put it in Evernote, it's on my iPad, it's on my iPhone, and on my computer. So uh, when someone that I work for says, can I see a copy of that brochure, or what do we do this time? It's just a really a click of a button, and it's really helpful to do it that way. Um, okay, so I listed some questions here. If you help to oversee an event or promotion in any area of the ministry, you should have good records of what was done, and your re- records should answer these types of questions, and they're all listed there. You know, when did we put this in the bulletin? What did the bulletin say? What mailings went out? What was mailed to whom and when? How much did it cost? What, are the ma- what materials were prepared? What, are the, were there meetings involved? Who was invited? What promotional items were purchased? Do you guys have all these? I don't need to read them for you if you have them. Okay, you have them? Okay. So you shouldn't have to recreate this information every year, okay? Instead, create archives of what you did, in, um, like I said, online or um, on your computer. And if you, if you prefer doing it, my mom still prefers the paper files, so she has lots of them. But that's her, her way. So whatever way works for you, do it that way, okay? And then file it, and that way you have it for easy retrieval. When you finish your project, uh, make time. You won't have the time. You'll have to make the time to, to make some notations, okay? What worked, what didn't. Who helped you? What would you do differently? And then get feedback from those you work with. You know, do you have any thoughts or suggestions? And a lot of times people have really great ideas, and you can just notate them for, for the next time. 
This is a key to improving your project. Time activate to look at these notations in a timely manner before you tackle that project again. This is for repeat projects. And then above all, measure your progress by your experience of the love of God and its exercise before men. Um, sometimes we get so caught up in the project, like we talked about earlier, that we, uh, maybe we did a great project, but maybe we ruined our testimony, or maybe we had a bad attitude in front of uh, our children, um, or maybe we um, just didn't have the best spirit towards our, our authority or the, the person we work for. And so maybe we got the project done, but maybe we didn't display God's love in the process. So think it through and think, did I, you know, sometimes I get a project done and I don't have that sense of satisfaction that I thought I would. And it's because I don't think my spirit pleased the Lord throughout the process. So think about that, you know, did, did, the, did I please the Lord in how I handled this whole situation in this project? And then lastly, this is really short, but express gratitude. Express gratitude. And the key word here is to thank. And first of all, we should thank the Lord. I have been convicted of this lately, that um, God is good to allow us to serve him. And I need to thank the Lord for the opportunity I have to serve him. And thank him for the growth that he allows me to experience when I do. And then also thank others. Thank, you know, thank your pastor for, for a job. You know, thank Thank uh, those you work for for the opportunity to serve alongside of them. Thank the secretary who helped bail you out, you know, when you had to pull an all-nighter to get something done for your church family. And thank your church volunteers, especially in this economy. I know church, fam- church members in our church who've taken off work just to be here this week, and that's a blessing. And I know they'll receive thank you notes for that. But and especially in, um, during hard times for them, it's a, it's a real testimony to them. And they don't, you don't want them to feel used. You want them to feel like this is a blessing, and they were a blessing to serve the Lord for that. Um, I was, um, let's see, a couple years ago, our family went to England. It was my favorite place to be in the whole world. I really enjoyed going there, and I, I learned a lot. We, um, my dad even used the illustration last night from when he went to the you know, war rooms, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Well, I was, um, I don't know where I saw this, but I was, um, okay, let me just tell you this story, okay? During World War II, the British government worked to design a number of, of morale-boosting posters that would be displayed during the British Isles um, for the testing times that lie ahead. So they wanted to, to put these posters around to just encourage their people and say, you know, things are going to be okay, uh, stay positive, we know we're in war times, but just keep your morale high. So they decided to design these posters uh, with bold colors. They wanted the crown to be displayed on top. And they wanted uh, it to just have a simple font and just to be a subtle yet um, positive reminder to them to keep on pressing on. So the first two posters read, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. So that one was posted all around England and the British Isles. Your courage, your, your uh, cheerfulness, your resolution, that will bring us victory. And it worked. The people, you know, responded well to that poster. So then they had another one that said, freedom is in peril. That one was a little more serious, but still simple, just reminding them our freedom is in peril, but we understand that as a government, and, and we know, and just keep, keep moving forward. Well, then they designed a third one, and this third poster uh, they never end up using because they designed it only if Germany was going to invade England, and Germany never did, so they, the posters never were distributed. Well, um, about 60 years later, a bookseller in, in a rural part of, of England uh, was going through some books he bought at an auction, and out fell this poster. And it said, keep calm and carry on. And he found out that that was the poster that uh, the English government was going to put out if they were invaded by, by uh, Germany. 
And as I thought about that, keep calm and carry on, I don't know if you've seen that, it's become like a big rage lately, keep calm and carry on, it's on everything. And so um, it's just been a positive morale booster, even for the people of England today, they say. And I actually have a, a little version of that poster in my office, keep calm and carry on. And to me, that translates trust and obey. And I think about how the um, English government, they knew that there is peril and the, and the English pe the people of England, they knew that they were in peril. But the, the government said, you know, just keep calm and carry on. And I think about my Heavenly Father, He knows way more than a government knows about the peril that we're in. He knows how Satan fights our projects and our days. And uh, God tells us just to trust and obey. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on coordinating ministry projects with Mrs. Danielle Lord.